The Mac Geek Gab, episode 585 for 27 December 2015. Uh, greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in all the stuff you want to tell us about or ask us about, and we answer it like car talk for Apple geeks, except we're told we're a little more polite. Sponsors for this episode include iMazing at iMazing.com, where coupon code MGG saves you 20%. We'll tell you more about that later. And Squarespace at Squarespace.com, where coupon code MGG saves you 10%. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in rainy Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. And here in Drizzly, Durham, New Hampshire, is Pilot Pete. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for coming back, Pete. Yeah, it's always good to have you. I got to apologize. If you want to go back and record, re-record the intro, my dyslexia was acting up and I got the number backwards. I said 585 instead of... Instead of 585. Yeah, yeah that's right. Another palindromic episode, folks. That's right. MGM 585. Wait, no, GMG. 585. Oh, whatever it is. Oi. How was your Christmas, John? That oh, was good. Hung out with friends and family. Cool. You know, good uh good food. Put a put a bunch of pictures on the Instagrams you may have seen. Cool. Yeah. And uh and Santa got me everything I asked for. Well, that's cuz you were a good boy this year. And yeah, and I put it on my gift list. Uh, one fun thing that I got, so so it led to a little uh, little adventure. But I got a uh, so one thing I asked for was a hard drive to upgrade one of my uh, NAS devices here. Aha! Because so, uh, uh, as you probably know, but if you don't, so the Synology that I have, which is the uh, DS seven thirteen plus, has two bays, and and for a while I've been running it in, in non-optimal mode because uh, so Synology's hybrid raid um, is, is how I have it set up. So it's basically, you know, redundant, but, yeah. uh, but the drives, uh, but, but uh, for, for the longest time, the drives were of different sizes. So what happens then is that it only uses as much space as the smallest drive in the array. So because you only have two drives. Correct. It, yeah. If you had had, if you had multiple drives in a Synology, unit more than two is multiple but if you had three or more uh it can use the storage space a little more efficiently than it can with with just two and sometimes can make use of all of it even when the drives are different sizes but with just two it's effectively a mirror that's right yeah so i uh you know pulled the smaller drive you know i i checked the documentation to make sure you can do hot swap which uh almost uh, most nas devices uh should allow you to do that which which means that you can pull a drive or put in a drive while the thing is on. Uh, I guess in the old days, maybe you couldn't do that. But so, you know, I pulled the old drive, put in the new one. Yep. It complained. It started beeping and yelling at me and sending me notifications saying something was up. And, yeah. uh, Danger. And then it basically repairs it. And then once it, uh, so technically you, you actually go through a repair operation and then uh, I got more space. But then I was like, oh, what do I do with the, uh, so I put in a three and then I pulled a 2.5 uh drive out and then i'm like well what do i do with this well let me put it in the drobo oh there you so go i inventoried what i had in the drobo and you'd be shocked dave so i was like well you know i should probably pull 
the oldest, smallest drive out of there. Is it like a 320 um, or something? No. Well, here's here's what I had in there. So I inventoried the drives here. So one thing that's annoying is so all most manufacturers put the date on there in a format that people can read, except Seagate. These guys that there's a tool you can look online. Right. Look up the Seagate date code because it had some code on it and it wasn't, you know, didn't list like the month and the year. But um, the oldest drive that I had in my Drobo, Dave, and so I pulled that and I'll probably put it in an enclosure, was a Hitachi Travel Star one gig drive. Uh, uh, one gig or one ter? One terabyte. Uh, I'm sorry, one terabyte. Okay. Uh, and the date wow. on it was May 2007. <laughs> wow. I bet you paid some coin for that. No, and it, well, actually, yeah. So I had two travel stars, and I think they were eventually. So it was Hitachi, and then I think IBM acquired them. But uh, so I actually had two of those drives in here. Uh, one was dated May 2007, and the other was dated uh, uh, December 2007. And actually, I was like, wow, where did I get this drive? Well, I know where I got it because it had a teeny little apple on it. It was actually the drive, I believe it came with my G5 tower. And that's still cranking. So I got two drives in my Drobo right now that are dated, uh, or now one that's dated 2007. Yeah. So uh, so those travel stars, good drives. Cool, man. Seven? Seven? I mean, it's it's eight years old. <laughs> so now you it's added 500 working. gigs to your uh, your Synology storage. Yes, sir. That's cool. Yeah, because yeah, I'm a packing videos on there, you know, yeah. and using you know, DS video. So I was I was running low in space. There, so. Oh, that's right. So you run DS video with with your Apple TV or or your computer if you want to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, cool. So, you know, we um we have been using uh we had been using DS video for a long time, uh, obviously, with our our third gen Apple TV. And then when we got the fourth gen and apps started coming out for it, we were really, really happy because we could finally use Plex on the Apple TV, which means, right. which means we can navigate right on the TV. We don't have to navigate from our phones. We went to watch a movie last night though. And you know what? It's still way easier to just use the phone to navigate and say, play this movie on the TV. And be, and with the way Synology's DS video works, you're not airplaying it via your phone. Your phone is simply acting as the remote control. It's still airplaying directly from the disk station or whatever, you know, whatever device it is. But with 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 DS video, it's it's um, it's from the disk station directly to the Apple TV. No quality loss or anything. And it's just so much easier to do searches and stuff on the phone. Oh, yeah. I suppose it'll get easier when you can do when like apps get uh the ability to tap into the Apple TV's universal search. Uh, right. Because right, sure. then, then you can just from the main menu, you can say, I want to watch, you know, whatever movie it is. And then boom, it's going to find it and you select it and go, but you know, the, the phones are pretty darn handy for that kind of, it, it seems like we don't need to reinvent this wheel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's, uh, should we get to it, John? Should we start answering some questions? We're going to do some cool stuff found later in the show today, uh, but uh, but right now we've got uh, we've got a couple of good questions from you folks. So let's get there, and we'll start with Johnny. Here's Johnny. He says, "I turned to your extreme. I have an uh, thank you, Johnny, for your compliments. I have an early 2008 Mac Pro running 10.95." I haven't upgraded as I have an old version of Photoshop that I need to keep alive as long as possible. Uh, 
I am always terrified that upgrading will break something and that I have a lot of downtime fixing the problem. Anyway, recently the inkjet drivers started crashing repeatedly and he sent us, sent us a log says I didn't get a lot out of the log other than that. The fact that the driver crashed, even if the driver does not crash, only the pay, only the first page will print out before it hangs. Printing works okay for one page documents, but sometimes I need to print two pages. I can print to the printer from my laptop without problems, so I think the printer is okay. It's an HP 2510, or at least that's what he said in his email. Other things I've tried, and he said he rebooted. He ran Onyx to clean out as many caches as it could find. He repaired permissions with disk utility. Uh, he deleted and reinstalled the printer a couple of times. He says, in the old days, I would just reinstall the driver, but uh, in this 21st century world, that seems no longer possible. Maybe I'm stuck doing an over-the-top reinstall of 10.9. So... I looked at Johnny's crash logs, John, and I saw it, it tells you it, when you look in the crash logs and these really are helpful. I know it's crazy that, uh, that we say we ask for these things, but it's fun and it, and it makes it helpful. And hopefully we can teach you something. So in the crash log, it's going to list which thread crashed. And as, as John has astutely pointed out in previous episodes, uh, it, each thread is kind of its own little box inside the bigger box of the process. And so looking at that, uh, the thread that was crashing was labeled status reporting. So we can thank the HP developers for being a little bit verbose in what they're doing. So this is this thread that's reporting status back. And I started thinking, well, now this makes sense. It crashes after one page because after one page, it's going to send the status back and say, I finished a page. And then that's it. The driver's done and it doesn't have anything else to do. My, my question then to Johnny was, where did you get this driver? Is it the driver that's coming with OS 10, which is normal? OS 10 includes a lot of drivers for a lot of manufacturers and the manufacturers provide these to Apple, but they don't necessarily keep them up to date. Um, and when you plug in the printer, OS 10 says, ah, yep, I know where to get a driver for this. It pulls it down or it just uses what it has on disk, depending on how you loaded it and you're good to go. However, that's not always the best way to do it. Sometimes the best way is to get it from the manufacturer. And so I found a driver for the HP DeskJet 2510 on HP's site and sent Johnny a link and it worked. But here's the thing. The HP 2510 was a typo on Johnny's part. He has an HP 2410, but the, and therefore when he searched for a printer driver, he couldn't find one because evidently, at least according to Johnny, HP doesn't have drivers for the 2410 available. But they have drivers for the 2510 and he tried it and it worked. So there's a couple of lessons here, right? Number one is pay attention to these crash logs and, and you might be able to learn something. Sometimes they're not as verbose or as clear as this, but in this case it was and it was helpful. And then the other one is look for, you know, when you're searching for printer drivers, A, search online and go get the manufacturer's driver. Even if your driver, for, well... I was going to say, even if your driver from Apple works, but then, then we're down the, if it ain't broke, fix it till it is path. Uh, but sometimes you will get more functionality out of a manufacturer's driver. So there's that. And then if you're having trouble, look for printers with model numbers that might be close. I know it's a little nuts to, to thank a typo for this, for this solution here, but that's what we're doing. So these printers are all made, you know, when they're made by the same manufacturer, it could be. You know, the 2410 and the 2510, I honestly don't know the difference between the two, but it might just be a model year difference. I have a title for the show. What's the title for the show? It's better to be lucky than good. It's better to be lucky than good. Yeah, well, that's it. But, you know, <laughs> if you try one thing versus trying five things, 
the chances of you being lucky are multiplied by five. There you go. Yeah, of course, your chances of being unlucky are also multiplied by five. So five make a backup a first. Breaking it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, make a backup first. So, um, and Furby's in the chat room at, uh, at MacGeekUp.com slash stream is suggesting Guten Print, which is yet another set of, I believe, and I might, I might get this wrong, John, maybe you know more open source-ish drivers for, for printers. So uh, that's another that's another option. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, too. Yeah, good stuff. You know, I went through a similar thing with uh, so when I set up my uh, my parents with their iMac, or, or no, they got the so they bought a the, they had a HP inkjet that uh, you know eventually failed, just wasn't wasn't printing right. So uh, so got a new one, and for whatever silly reason, the Apple drivers. I, I don't know how this happened. It, it, was, it was weird to see, but the printer would only print in black and white. <laughs> and it was a similar story. I was like, well, that's not right. And I'm like, well, you know what? Instead of, because yeah, Apple. So what's supposed to happen is Apple or, or the, the printer vendors are supposed to, or, or may choose to provide the computer makers like, or the operating system makers like Microsoft or Apple with drivers. But as you pointed out, they don't always provide the right ones or the latest ones. And I did the same thing. The only caution is that um, you got to be careful because HP and, and others, um, you know, because I went to their site and they have, uh, they will, they, they're more than happy to volunteer to install all, all sorts of additional garbage <laughs> besides the driver. Um, so you have to be, you, you got to pay attention if, if you get it from, the manufacturer that what you're downloading because uh, uh, it just got in the way. It was, you know, the, the, it was, you know, picture software and, you know, all sorts of services they were offering. And it was just all this sort of garbage here. You had to be very careful when you ran the installer that you said, no, I just want to install the driver for this model printer. I, I don't want the other stuff, please. Because mm. in my humble opinion, it'll cause you grief and just, just get in the way and cause problems down the road, or at least that was my experience. So, um, yeah, if you're right, you you want the right driver for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Fun though, you know. That's uh, well, I don't know if that's my idea. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes for good stories after the fact. You guys wouldn't have a show if they didn't do that stuff. Well, there's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we wouldn't have a show if we didn't enjoy it at some level too. There so yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's move on to uh, John. So, uh, not you, John, of course, listener, John, uh, let's see, John writes my 27 inch late 2012 iMac is at the genius bar waiting for a new hard drive. And over the last few days, I've seen some interesting things worth commenting on and have a few questions. First, when the problem arose, carbon copy cloner reported errors, reading files when doing the nightly clone. It seems like doing a regular backup might actually be a good thing for detecting problems early. Simultaneously, SoftRaid, which monitors all my attached hard drives, warned me of predicted drive failure on the internal hard drive, part of the Fusion drive. Having been alerted to the problem, I booted from the Daily Clone, but discovered it too had problems, such as the utilities folder being empty, yet Spotlight could find disk utility. Given that this wasn't part of the list of files Carbon Copy Cloner had problems reading, I don't understand why there were problems on the clone drive. I know you recommend checking backups, but this seems to be potluck that I noticed something was missing. 
unfortunately, after a problem occurred. How do you recommend checking for this type of problem? And what might it be that that occurred that gave the clone drive, uh, given that the clone drive is showing no signs of failure? This is something I really want to get to the bottom of and try uh, try to avoid repeating in the future. I'm going to go on. He, he's got he's got several questions here that we'll address, but it's an interesting thing. It says, uh, despite the problems with the internal hard drive, Disk Utility reported it as being okay. Even the smart status in Disk Utility was okay. But using a utility like Smart Reporter, I could see zero reallocated sectors, but 530 offline pending sectors. Interestingly, up to the point today where the drive actually failed and became unreadable, reallocated sectors remained at zero, despite doing zero across the drive and restoring from Time Machine. My other problem was restoring from Time Machine. I have this on my Drobo 5D, which I demoted to Time Machine function after setting up the Thunder Bay using SoftRaid. It says, despite having Thunderbolt, USB 3, and eSATA Time Machine, when booted from the recovery partition, could not see my Time Machine volume. It turns out that Thunderbolt and USB 3 are not supported when booting into recovery and don't have eSATA. It seems ridiculous having to connect via USB 2 to restore, but that's what I did. Uh, he says, a final question relates to when I took the iMac to the Genius Bar. By that stage, the hard drive had failed. I'd like to think that I had pushed it over the edge by turning on FileVault to get the drive to work hard overnight. The diagnostics run by the Genius showed a red exclamation point for the failed drive. However, it also showed a yellow warning for RAM. I wondered if this is because I've added third-party RAM, but the Genius said it was because it was a non-standard RAM configuration. The machine came with two times four gigabyte chips, eight gigs total, and I added two eight gig chips to it. There's four slots to give it 24 gigs seemed to work fine. Uh, my reply was that I was fully aware that in the past Ram configuration had been very important, but that for this model, there was almost no guidance or requirements specifying what he had told me. All right. So let's talk about uh, a few things here for we'll go in reverse order since uh, that's how my brain's going to work today uh, for the Ram. I looked this up in Mac tracker and it says that that iMac, the iMac 13,2, assuming I'm getting it right, does support what's called memory interleaving. Uh, assuming that's correct, and MacTracker is usually correct about these things, there is potentially some speed benefit. Maybe, I don't know, what do you think interleaving will give you? Five to 10%, John? Uh, that's, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's about right. But okay. it's, uh, it's useful to point out that Apple typically lies. <laughs> about the amount of RAM. Um, well, I don't know if they're they're doing it intentionally. You know, I don't know why they do it. Uh, yeah. Why there's a discrepancy between the amount of RAM that they say well, but they're not a saying can handle. They're saying Apple says 32 gigs are, are p- capable in this machine. So what he's mm-hmm. doing is well within Apple specs, and that's not what mm-hmm. Apple's saying. Yeah, but you're right. Sometimes Apple's specs say that you can only do, you know, put four gig chips in a machine and eight gig chips work totally fine. It's better to trust the RAM manufacturers than Apple on... Uh, on 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 those types of things i found especially like mm-hmm. like crucial and, and owc the people that are you know reliable but uh, the problem here is that he had eight gigs and then yeah and then 16 gigs he had two four so gig he'd chips had two 12s I, I, they don't even make them i'm no. sure but uh but had he had you know they want an even number i guess well for interleaving you do yeah, right right yeah so he had two fours and then he added two eights if he had if he had done four eights or four fours, then it, it the interleaving would have turned on in the machine and it can read and write to each bank separately, but it, it does them in sequence so that it goes faster. Right. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, 
interesting about USB 2, I don't know if that's a Drobo limitation or a limitation of, of the recovery partition. It doesn't, neither of those make sense to me. I can't imagine that the recovery partition, maybe it I understood a, it to mean the drivers just weren't there in that, yeah. in that recovery mode to, to handle Thunderbolt. Yeah, but why would it work with USB 2? I don't know. Yeah. That, but it is good to know. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're having trouble, I, and I'm not even sure how you would force it into USB 2 mode at that point. I mean, how would it? It's the cable, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I'm going to skip over one thing because I think it's, I'm going to skip over the uh, the smart stuff and come back to that last uh, just to get to this, the missing utilities folder. Um, and your question, John, which is a good one, listener, John, I mean, uh, about how to we and, we and we do we say it. You need to verify that your backups are that the data is there. But the question is, how do you do that? And I can't think of any backup software that any of us use today that will do this. And it's a shame. Uh, I've tried. I don't think carbon copy cloner does. I don't even think ProSoft's data backup does uh, retrospect used to. And I guess if it still works, it would, <laughs> but I don't, time machine definitely doesn't. And <laughs> I don't know. You're going to need a third party utility like Delta Walker. Oh, that will compare. Yeah. I like it. I've never heard oh, wait, of Delta you're, Walker, you're, but it sounds good. Yeah, it, it, it okay. It, it, you're it asking takes two drives or two folders even and yeah, compares them. That's and right. It shows you, highlights the differences. I'll put a link to well, it. No, I yeah. think I think we got a heads up from the Carbon Copy Cloner guys. Um, there 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 is an option buried oh, okay. in Carbon Copy Cloner. I think it's this one here: find and replace corrupted files. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. Okay. That's right. We had this. We had this pointed out to us. I, I, I think it was by the carbon copy cloner guys saying, "Oh yeah." But the thing is, it uh, obviously, or if it's not obvious, but it slows down your backup because it's doing a, a you know, compare. So it's going to take way longer. Yes. But it gives you a warm fuzzy that what was backed up is uh, matches, um, you know, between the source and destination. So. Um, that's you know again, I knew I'll, it was there. I'll double check, but I no, think you're right. Yeah, I'll double check, but I'm pretty sure that was that's the option you got to check, and it's not entirely obvious that you know checking that box means what it's going to do is right you know, verify your backup. I mean, they should have a, <laughs> a. I personally think they should say, "Well, verify, yeah. verify." <laughs> yeah, but you know, but the problem is like Time Machine. You can you can hold down the Option key and go to the Time Machine menu and choose uh, Verify Backup. But that doesn't verify the data. It just verifies the file structure. It, it you know, it just does a uh, like a disk check on that, which is great. It's but doing it's the some wrong comparison. Word. Yeah, no, it's, doing it's not doing comparison. any comparison. No, no, it no. is only doing a disk utility style uh, verified oh. disk versus repair disk on the disk image or the, or the disk itself, but it's typically a disk image if you're doing it over the network. No. Yeah. We've looked at it. it it's only that it's not. So it's, yes, it's a verify in the way that disk utility uses the word verify, but it's not a verify in the backup sense. So it's a little misleading, obviously. Yeah. yeah. It's not good. Yeah. Oh, good catch, John. I, I thought it was there, but you know, I started looking and I'm like, yeah, I guess it's not. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad. You caught that. 
All right. So that's. Yeah, I should actually enable it because <laughs> I don't have it enabled for the backups that I currently do. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. See how, uh, how, uh, I mean, I don't know if it doubles the backup time and then it does the backup and then it does the compare. Yeah, I'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Play with it. Yeah, it is worth doing every now and then. I frankly, I think it's worth doing every time now that we're talking about, I mean, you know, I used to say to people a backup that's not verified is not a backup. It's just a copy. There you go. Uh, you know, it uh, seems to me there's bound to be some scripting that would, yeah, you could throw right in there. there. Yeah. 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 Awesome. All right. Thanks, John. That's good. Okay. And then on to the last thing uh, with, with the disc, with other utilities reporting the disc as going bad, but disc utility saying nothing. Uh, as we said in the past, smart is only a set of uh, parameters that can be read from the drive. Smart in and of itself doesn't say it's not, it's not black and white. It's not, I'm bad. I'm good. It's uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's not binary is a better way to say it, right? It, it's very much just, here's all this data, interpret it as you wish. And disk utility is um, very, it takes a lot to sway disk utility into saying, yep, this drive is bad. Whereas smart reporter and soft raid look, look at things a little, or interpret things a little bit differently. And, and like you saw, soft raid gave you a, a heads, a nice heads up that things were, you know, potentially going to go south. And it turns out it was right. So yeah, you, you know, disk utility is not the end all be all when it comes to interpreting smart data. Oh right. no. Right. Mr. Brown. No, of course not. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. And, and these third parties and, you know, I, well, you know, hats off to the third parties that write utilities that uh, will look at the individual parameters, you know, and, and see important things like, you know, I mean, there's a whole pile of them, but there are certain ones that, uh, you know, if you see them increasing uh, and I, I still don't know why the smart mechanism itself doesn't do that. I, I think they should upgrade it or something because, yeah, I mean, We've seen it, or I've seen it on some of my drives. I, I had one that failed in my uh, 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 Synology once. It was an I.O. error. And when I looked at the smart parameters, there was one parameter. I think it was like failed you know, read count or something or failed write count. I, for, I forget what it was, but sure. it was, it was a, a value that was getting pretty huge. And I was like, well, why didn't smart itself say, yeah, this is bad? And I, so. Right. Yep. I, I agree. It's pretty crazy. All right. Uh, moving on to Drew, who has a fantastic tip for us. In episode 584, we were talking about listener John and his uh, iPad, where uh, he couldn't get his iPad to back up to iTunes. And uh, listener John wrote and said, I, too, have this issue. Only it's with multiple devices, my iPad, my iPad mini, my iPod and my iPhone six using multiple USB ports and multiple cords while troubleshooting. He says, I found an article on Apple's site about resetting the lockdown folder in iTunes. So there's this thing. And he says when he does it and when he fixes this, it, it works for a little while. Or when he resets this folder, it works for a little while and then it actually comes back. Uh, but there is this thing 
where, you know, when you plug your device into your Mac for the first time or a device into your Mac for the first time, your Mac and the device both ask you, hey, is it cool to talk to this uh, either to this device or to this computer? And that's to keep you from, you know, inadvertently putting some, you know, nefarious script on a USB device into your machine and having it wreak havoc on stuff. So you have to authenticate. And that's I believe that's what this lockdown folder is for. Uh, there is a way of resetting this lockdown folder uh, and and it resets that whole trusted device thing. Thank you for the, the terminology, Brian Monroe. And you can reset this just by going in to this folder, which is VARDB lockdown and uh, and removing things. But there's a there's a set of instructions that Apple provides for both uh, OS 10 and various flavors of Windows. So you should be able to find it and reset this and perhaps That'll fix that problem, too. So thank you, Drew. Very good stuff. A lockdown huh. folder, huh, John? I have never heard of that. And yeah, look at that. There's even a Apple support article about it. I remember it was a year or two ago. Allison Sheridan wrote from from NozillaCast at podfeet.com uh, wrote us about it was it was this. I'm not sure if she called it the lockdown folder at the time, but but there was something she was finding. It was just when this trusted device thing was starting and and she really dug in and, and found some of this stuff. So um, so it's I'm glad that Apple has at least made it easier to find this stuff. So it's good. It's yeah. Cool. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I have it on my mini, but the files in there are very old. They're dated. 2011 and 2012. Huh. Huh. Maybe you had, maybe maybe it's been a long time. Oh, wait. Well, uh, typically I don't sync stuff to the mini. I would, uh, I would imagine it'd be newer on the, uh, RDB. Yeah. Let's look on. Ah, there we go. Ah, okay. Yeah. I typically don't sync my uh, devices with the mini. I sync them with this machine and, ah, there we go. Yeah. They're all up to date and they're owned by, this mysterious user underscore USB mux D. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's right. Right. Because it, it, that process runs separately than root again, to keep things from spinning out of control. If there's a, if there's a problem. All right. Good stuff. Thank you, Drew. Uh, one last question before we move on to a couple of other things from listener, Dave, Dave writes. Uh, let's see. He's having trouble with uh, with iOS mail. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to read through his question because it was actually a series of about 60 emails that we went back and forth on this with. But uh, what's happening is when Dave goes to archive mail in iOS, it doesn't put it in the archive folder that he has told iOS to use. It simply puts it in all mail, which is sort of like not doing anything Every piece of mail that you have in Gmail is in all mail unless you move it to the trash. So uh, something's not right. It's not keeping track of it. You can set this if you go into uh, settings, mail contacts and calendars on your iPhone and then go into whatever account it is. Dig into the account again and then go to the advanced menu here in the top section is mailbox behaviors and you can set what you want your archive mailbox to be and this can be anything that's exposed via imap but no matter what dave does it doesn't work well i think this is related to something we were talking about recently which is that 
the caches an iOS mail can get stuck, like any caches can. The problem is when you delete a piece of, or when you delete an account from iOS, which is our typical advice for this, the cache is not deleted. So if you delete an account and then you bring that account back, it's going to inherit that cache again. Here's a piece of good news, though. Caches are not stored in backups. Okay. So if you back up your iOS device and then wipe it clean and you have to wipe it clean, uh, there are tools like one that we're going to talk about in our sponsor spot shortly, but tools like iMazing, which let you restore a backup without wiping first, which is really handy if you just want to change one little parameter. You change it in iMazing and it sends it back up, but it doesn't wipe out the caches because you're not wiping out the uh you know the entire uh phone and the backup the caches aren't stored in the backup so you can't erase them from the backup and then push an empty cache back up it just doesn't work that way so you have to wipe your phone but then you can this is the good news restore from a backup and you in the caches will be rebuilt so that's the next step that i would do in the troubleshooting process on an iphone where especially where mail is getting weird these caches are nutso uh, we've talked about them recently with, you know, it, it remembering the mail server name and the login and not being happy about things. And this is all part of that. So wiping the good news and the folks at at, uh, at iMazing were quite helpful in in ensuring in helping me figure out that, yes, these particular caches are not stored in the backups, which makes sense. Caches shouldn't be stored in backups. So that's uh, that's that interesting stuff, huh, John? No, they could be stored in a backup. They could. Thankfully, they're not, I guess. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's two different ways of solving the problem, but makes it easy, I guess. It takes a little time. It's frustrating, though, because we, we've come across this issue more than once in that the relatively closed nature of iOS uh, introduces these sort of problems. That's right. We need Onyx for iOS. <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. The problem is it, it can't, Apple doesn't allow, you could, it could exist if you jailbreak your phone that, but yeah, that's what we need is Onyx for iOS. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Well, ask him to start on that. That's right. So now with that request out there, John, I would, uh, I would like to uh, talk about our uh, sponsors for today. That worked for you. Splendid. All right. Well, I want to talk about iMazing at iMazing.com. This is a piece of software built to manage all of your iOS devices in ways that iTunes can't. And I say that, but in the last couple of weeks, I've actually been using this quite a bit. It does so much. You can back up your iPhone from iTunes. You can restore with iTunes. But when you do that in iTunes, it wipes out everything. Now, sometimes... That's actually what you want. But a lot of times, all you want to do is restore a certain thing back. For example, I've been bouncing back and forth between my iPad Mini 2 and the review unit uh, iPad Mini 4 that Apple sent me. Restoring everything, all my media and all that takes forever. But with iMazing, I can take a backup from the iPad Mini 2 and just restore my new data back to the iPad Mini 4 much faster Everything I want is there, all taken care of for me. My sister-in-law called me the other day and said, I got a new computer, but 
none of my songs are on it. They're only on my phone. How do I get them back to my computer? Well, my answer, I'm amazing. That's what it's built to do. Plug it in, pull the data back, and you're back in business. This is how it's supposed to work, folks. Any bit of data that you want to put in your backups, there it is. iMazing has it. And you can access it and selectively restore it back to your phone, even after making some edits in some cases. This is a piece of software that you really need if you've got an iOS device, an iPhone, an iPad. And as listener Douglas points out, I bought iMazing a while back, but what some may not know is that you can activate both the Mac and the Windows versions with the same key. What does this mean, you might ask, he asks, in typical John Braun fashion? Well, it means you do not have to purchase two licenses to be able to use it on OS X at home and Windows at work. Gotta check this out. iMazing.com. It gets even better because coupon code MGG saves you 20% off the purchase price. Check it out. iMazing.com. Our thanks to DigiDNA, the makers of iMazing, for sponsoring this episode. Our sponsor, Squarespace, at squarespace.com slash MGG, makes it really, really easy for you to build your own website and host it all from within your web browser. You don't need extra software. You don't need anything. All you need is squarespace.com slash MGG. You go there and then you just pick out a template, any template you like. They have tons of them. You kind of narrow down by choosing what you want to do with your site. Do you want to build a blog for yourself? You want to build a store? You just want to host your pictures? What do you want to do? And then you narrow down, pick a template that resonates with you and you start putting your content in there, whatever it is you want to do. It's super easy. I built a storefront for my band. We were having an event. We needed to sell tickets. Within an hour, I had the storefront created and published. I had the ability to take credit cards. And I didn't use any stuff that I've done before. They take care of all of that right inside the web form and development environment that they've built called Squarespace. It's truly amazing how easy it is to build and manage and just run your own website. The sites look professionally designed because they are. Your skill level doesn't matter. They've built the site. Your content magically fits into it. The tools are really easy to use. You're doing it inside a web browser. It's what you've always done. They have state-of-the-art hosting, so you don't need to worry about it. Your site's just always going to be up and running. Millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world use it. Heck, I use it for my DaveTheNerd.com blog. Plans start at eight bucks a month. And if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain. If you do that, here's the thing. Coupon code MGG saves you 10% off of that eight bucks a month. So it really is inexpensive. Totally easy. You got to check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG saves you 10%. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. I mentioned last week, we mentioned last week, that uh, we were going to talk about TiVo a little bit today. And, uh, and now, is, now is the perfect time to do that. I have been, well, we've both been TiVo customers for almost two decades, right? I mean, I got TiVo when the first one had just come out and my daughter's 16. So we've had TiVo for almost 16 years now. And, 
And it's a wonderful thing. It's a great way to manage. If you, if you have yet to cut the cord, uh, TiVo is still, to, my, to me, the best way to manage uh, certainly your cable TV and can even do some of this stuff that your Apple TV can do as well because it can connect to a lot of your online services and Plex is one of them. So it can even see my movies on my disk station locally in addition to Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and Amazon Prime and all of that good stuff. So I've been checking out the new TiVo Bolt, which is their latest offering. And uh, it's been an interesting thing, John. They've added some new features to this. So uh, I'm coming from a TiVo premiere, which is essentially two models old. I have uh, I do not have a Romeo, which is what's essentially in between. Certainly timeline wise, the Romeo came out prior to the Bolt, whether the Bolt replaces it in the lineup or not it's it's a little their lineup's a little bifurcated right now because the uh the 4k support is is not in everything and it's a little weird but the bolt's a cool little device and it is a little device it's much smaller than any previous tivo i've owned and it's a weird shape uh it's it's kind of a wavy shape which i assume is to discourage people from stacking things on top of it uh, which therefore is, you know, kind of a, yeah. a, a cooling thing. So, and it's I white. Think they, let the, they let the design people have some fun, but because uh, personally, my TiVo, I have uh, my Blu-ray player and and some other and a switching adapter on yeah. top of it, and, yeah. and it handles it just fine. Yeah. I, well, I, I wonder if they put a different fan or something in this one, um, or no fan, perhaps, or maybe don't want to run the fan all the time because in the living room that gets loud. I don't know. TVs run fans too, so. I don't know, but it it's it. You can't stack anything on it, and you notice it because it's white, unlike every other black component that I have. But um, it does some cool things, right? So first of all, it just in terms of using it compared to my Premiere, I would say it's it, it it's a little faster. People that have gone from Premieres to Romeos, and even people that have gone from Premieres to Bolts, have said, "Oh, it's way faster." In navigating channels and stuff, I'm not finding that. But I didn't find the premiere slow, so maybe I got lucky. Uh, we don't use Netflix, and I, I, I'm i told that they moved from using Flash to navigate Netflix to using HTML5, so I can see where that would make things quite a bit faster uh, with the with the Bolt and, I believe, the Romeo. But um, it does some cool things that, that I have not had access to in the past that were introduced with the Romeo, and then it does some cool things that were introduced just with the Bolt. So... The things with the bolt are uh, quick mode and skip mode. And these are interesting things. You folks like chapters, right? Because that's part of what we do here with Mac Geekab. Well, skip mode is TiVo adding chapters to your TV programs. A lot of what this means is skipping commercials, but it's more than that. Uh, I've been using skip mode. It's not added to every show. It's only, I think, about 20 channels it's TiVo personnel doing this manually. So they're watching the shows, right? And dropping anchors at the right spots. Uh, and, and I think it's only for shows between 4 PM and midnight or something. It's, you know, prime time ish, uh, certain channels, but it's most of what, uh, you know, most of what you're going to, you're going to watch, uh, is covered by this. So it's pretty cool. And it's cool because it records it. And then, you know, like an hour later, you see, Skip the little skip icon appear next to it in the thing. It like comes back in and gets it after the fact. One of the handiest things about it is being able to skip right to the beginning of the show. So you start playing and you're in like the, 
you know, whatever it is, the last show is ending or, you, you know, you're in some ad break or something. And you're like, no, I just want to get to the beginning of the show. You hit the green button on your TiVo. Boom. Right there at the beginning. You can jump segments, too. So, you know, if I'm watching like Jimmy Fallon or something and he's got a guest on that I don't care about or I you know, only care about the musical guest and I want to get there. Hitting the green button skips to the next segment. Very similar to what we do here with chapters. Um, and so it, it works very, very well. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very impressed with that. And I hear. Huh? Go ahead. No, because prior models, I think the best you could do, and this was one of the things that made the TiVo and similar devices, though I'm not off the top of my head, I'm not aware of you know any. <laughs> well, there, there are some cable companies that uh, I guess make their own DVR, digital video recorder is what, what we'll call it here. But the best you could do, or at least with the TiVo that I have, and, and I'm pretty sure the prior ones, Dave, is you could you could basically fast forward through commercials sure and then when they're over um you hit you know you stop fast forwarding and then it's smart enough to bounce you back to where the and i think there was a trick um it was kind of a trick but you could also skip in i think 30 second increments that's right if you hit a certain and and that kind of fits in with the because most commercials are on a, a minute boundary i think so uh so that that was the best that they could do in the past, but this is, I mean, this is pretty, it, it was funny when we were talking with them, I remember talking with them about it. And I'm like, so you really have people doing this? And it's like, yeah. And I guess, you know, it's, it's something that technology just can't do yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not- yeah, exactly. Well, it could, I bet it, it I have, um, I have a, an app called CTVO, which is an open source thing that allows me to do, uh, to pull, recorded programs from my TiVo so for so I can save them off like on my disk station and it makes use of another open source engine if you want called Comskip which will skip commercials automatically and it does pretty well with it 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 I think it uses a combination of audio volume you know audio level differences and uh uh, uh what do you call them subtitle uh, differences the closed captioning differences oh. and and so there's some i you know there's it can get it wrong um but i've messed with it it's okay you, you know but but you're right it's not going to get it perfect and it's not going to get it every time so so tivo's doing this uh, as part of their um you know as part of the what you get with the service and you get a year's worth of service with the tivo bolt when you buy it which is interesting lifetime service is very expensive with it though it goes from 400 bucks to 600 which is you know, they're very, it seems like they're trying to discourage people from getting lifetime service. Oh, and it's not your lifetime either. No, it's the lifetime of, of, the, the, bolt. <laughs> of the bolt. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes it extends to another bolt if it's replaced in warranty. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, um, so you know, uh, and I think I'll upgrade at some point. So you had thought that I had upgraded. The thing is every hmm. now and then um, they'll send out an email because they have on file that I still have the series three and they, they desperately want me to get off of it. Because they're actually taking features away. Like, for example, I think I mentioned this, uh, or if I didn't, but the thing is you used to be able to go to the TiVo.com site and schedule shows. Uh, or I used to be able to do that with my Series 3. Not anymore. You got to have yeah. at least a Premiere or okay. a Romeo. or No, I think maybe a Romeo. But that they're starting to pull features out of the Series 3 because they just want you to get off of the thing. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is they want you to upgrade. So, so they're discouraging you. You'd have to, you'd have to hold this. 
for five years to make a lifetime subscription pay off. Um, and I've, yeah, you know, I've seen, but I've gotten some deals from them saying, yeah. Hey, you know, we'll give you a refurb Romeo, basic Romeo. And, uh, they call it something else. Now they don't call it lifetime anymore. Right. Uh, right. Right. All something uh, I forget, but, um, I've actually seen where they're like, Hey, if you want to refurb and lifetime service, uh, 300 bucks. Yeah. And but I that's almost just went for it. I actually should have. Well, that's the Romeo S right. That's the very the basic, low. The yeah, basic the, entry, yeah, entry level Romeo, which skips yeah. a lot of the features that make it a Romeo, and I'll get to those because it's important to to pay attention to this stuff because you may not get what you want if you if you do that. Uh, but I, let me finish with the the new Bolt stuff, and then and then I do want to come back yeah. around to that. Uh, quick mode is it's an interesting concept. So the idea is behind behind Quick mode is you turn it on. And it plays your show 30% faster. Obviously, only works with recorded stuff. It's not going to play live stuff 30% faster because it's not magic. Um, huh. But we've tried it. You know, there are some things for which it works just fine. Uh, talk shows. You know, I know a lot of people listen to this podcast at about 30% faster. And no problem, right? It, it works for you. Uh, it's great. Talk shows it works okay for some sporting events it works okay for uh, and some shows it just doesn't work well at all for. But in all cases, what they're doing is speeding up the video at, and not they're They're speeding up the pace of the audio, but not the pitch. So uh, it, it keeps things, it keeps everybody from sounding like their album in the chipmunks. Everybody's voice stays where it needs to be. And, uh, and yet it just goes faster you lose 5.1 sound when you're doing that. It, it mixes it down to two channel sound when you're in quick mode, but you know, for watching stuff, it takes your brain a minute or two to adjust. At first it's this very stressful kind of thing, you know, like, the, uh, like Kaiser Wilhelm walking around. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but then, then you're okay. Then, you know, again, depending on the show, you might like it and you might not, but it's, but it's definitely an interesting thing. I hear, I believe that, uh, I, I, skip mode, actually, I believe is what's coming to the Romeos. Uh, at least the two Romeos that are left, the Romeo S that you were talking about is, is de decommissioned. Right. And the bolt, uh, effectively replaces that in the lineup, but skip modes come into that. Um, streaming is something interesting. Now with the bolt, you can stream to devices in your house and this is where TiVo, it's clear where TiVo is going with this. Right now, I have three TiVos in my house, three completely separate TiVos. Uh, we'll take the Bolt out of it because that's just a review unit. But I have three TiVos, each with two tuners. They can bounce shows between them, and that works just fine. But they can also all record stuff. But that means they also each need a subscription and all of that. I've got them all on Lifetimes, and I actually paid, I think I only paid like 199 bucks for each one. So it, it, they've paid off the Lifetime thing. But... Uh, but TiVo doesn't want you to do that. They want you to have one box in the house and then stream to all the other TVs or the, all the other screens in your house. And so what the Bolt lets you do is you can stream inside the house to your iPad or iPhone, which is handy, or you can stream to other TVs if you put a TiVo mini on those TVs. And I think the mini is about 150 bucks, but there's no subscription with the mini. You buy it, you put it on the TV and you're done. And now you've got this bolt, which has the, has four tuners in it or a Romeo, but not the entry level Romeo. And it will do streaming inside the house to all your devices. And you have one place where all your shows are recorded 
And then from there it streams and it'll stream live TV or it'll stream whatever you've recorded. And it's a very fluid kind of thing. So this is very cool. Now that that's what the Romeos again, not the entry level Romeo, but the, the, you know, the two that are left in the lineup, I think the pro and the plus, um, I have to look, I'm making that up, uh, or I'm, I'm recalling it from a very dim memory, but, uh, the Romeo, so that's it. The TiVo Bolt will only stream locally in the house. The Romeos will let you stream locally and remotely. They say that remote streaming is coming to the Bolt in, uh, in uh, a software update later this year. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. So it's, um, but that streaming thing is pretty cool. Uh, you know, and I can see where, you know, you might start doing some interesting stuff where, you know, you just, again, you just have the one box. And if you are not a cord cutter, a TiVo really can be the right. If you only want one box and you're not a cord cutter, a TiVo can be the right thing. Cause you're getting your broadcast stuff. It'll let you stream. And TiVo, TiVo was the first, we talked about it on the show uh, almost a year ago. TiVo were the first ones to get universal search right. Uh, if I get a, what I, what they call a one pass, it used to be a season pass for a show, John. Uh, I don't just get a season pass for recorded versions of the show. I can go and navigate the entire history of the show and any service to which I subscribe. That could be Amazon prime. It could be Hulu. It could be my cable companies on demand or recorded stuff. All is seen as one. And it, they really do it well. It, it's, it's almost seamless. You just say, I want to watch this episode. And it says, okay, here's the four sources for it. Two of them are pay, two of them are free. Which one do you want? So this, it's cool stuff, John. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Nice. Now you have, um, yeah, the thing is I only have one. Um, so I don't do the, the you know, streaming sure. locations. Now I gather you have these, that these are all, uh, uh hooked up wirelessly or, or do you have it, uh, wired? I, I have, I'm trying to think, I believe all of my TiVos are wired. The bolt actually has an 802.11 AC chip in it. So it'll connect wirelessly. <gasps> oh, yeah. Right. But, uh, but I do them all wired. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I could do it differently. I just choose. I have. I have power line running everywhere. Power line is, is, is showing its age though. It's not getting fast enough to match all the, the speeds that we're getting. And I've got some things to talk about and cool stuff found later about making that faster. But, um, but that's, uh, but yeah, yeah. So they, they can be okay. wired or wireless. Yeah. Cause that'd be my one concern um, is, you know, streaming video requires, you know, a certain size pipe and uh Yeah. <laughs> Uh, not everyone may have that. I even, uh, well, mine, I even upgraded mine. So they, uh, you know, so of course the newer ones have the wireless built in. Uh, I actually, for, for mine bought, they have, uh, I did have an 802.11 G adapter. That mm -hmm. was one option they offered. And then they offered, uh, but then I upgraded to 802.11 N, which of course is faster if you don't know that. Right. Um, and that it actually, yeah, it's kind of a hack. It actually, it's actually a little, little, uh, uh, access point, if you will, but it plugs into the ethernet port on the, uh, older models. So yeah, that was another reason that, you know, I wanted to, to, you know, consider upgrading because you, you don't need a third party, uh, or, or an external adapter. The, the networking's all, uh, all built in already. Yeah. Or, you know, like you said, uh, you know, if you got a power line or, you know, hardwire, connection that's good too but yeah. uh 
Okay, so so it, so streaming to other rooms. Uh, it, we have been doing it actually backwards because you know we had all of our shows were being recorded to our TiVo premiere, which I moved out of the living room temporarily, and I moved it up to the bedroom. And so we copied some shows over. We might, and you can go online and migrate all your season passes from your old device to your new device or, or some of your season passes between devices. And TiVo makes it really easy. Um, but you know, we copied some shows over, but then I realized, wait, we don't have to, you can just navigate over the network. That used to be kind of a disaster with TiVo. Now it, I forget that I'm navigating over the network and I just hit play and it works. And yeah, I, obviously my network is fast enough so that I don't notice any lagging, but, uh, but beyond that, it's, yeah, it's brilliant. It's great. So we're still watching shows that our old device recorded before we set the new one up. It's cool. Now, what are they? And the one thing that we, you know, we relied on third parties here. I, I don't know if they, uh, I don't know if they could change this though, but, but to either upload content to the TiVo, which sometimes you may want to do, you know, upload your own content or downloading it from, the TiVo now, have they made any advances as far as you being able to either pull content from it or put content on it or or you still have to rely on things like Pi TiVo and C TiVo and you know all the yeah things. yeah the third party stuff is the is the way to go with it but it works really well I mean mm-hmm. C TiVo is fantastic uh, we'll put a we'll put a link in in the uh, in the show notes about it but it's it's killer I, I still use it all the time it's good. Okay. And the storage in that thing is, um, uh, 500 is gigs a, or a terabyte. Okay. And you then can, it's a rotational. You, yes. Uh, it's rotational. Drive. Correct. And you can, as with, as with most TiVos, I think even yours support the, an eSATA device, uh, out the back end has to be TiVo certified eSATA. And I believe Western digital is the only company that, that sells one, but <gasps> right, right. Right. But you can do it or weak knees offers, uh, you know, internal hard drive upgrade upgrades, or you can do them yourself to get to three terabytes or something, you know, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun stuff. It's uh, and it really, again, you know, if you're cutting the cord, TiVo is not the right thing for you. Although it, it, it's getting closer to being the right thing, even for that. But, uh, but certainly if you haven't cut the cord and you don't intend to anytime soon, uh, TiVo is the way to go. It, it's very, it's a very, you know, Apple like experience. And like I said, they get, to this day, they still have the best universal search I've ever used. Uh, so highly recommend to, uh, to check it out again. The, the decision between the bolt and the, 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 the Romeo, either the pro or the plus is, uh, you know, is not an easy one to make. You kind of got to look at, at the features and whether you want 4k and, and all of that stuff. But, uh, the, and the, the, the Romeos have six tuners whereas the bolt has four, four and six. I mean, that's a lot of tuners to, to record simultaneously, but, but if you're doing this in-house streaming thing where you only have one device, well now maybe, you know, you're going to use more tuners simultaneously. Maybe it depends on how many people you got in your house and how crazy you are. Yeah. Now, have you entertained, um, because I think even, even the model that I have, um, if I wanted to hook up, uh, an antenna, I could, Yes. As a, as a source. Yes. Have, have you dabbled with that at all? I think our, uh, some of our colleagues have, uh, have done that. You, I, you can, I haven't, but you can. Yeah, that's right. It's interesting. I haven't even tried in this area with an antenna since we've gone all digital. Yeah. Have you? Ever? No, no. Yeah. No, I don't. Like, yeah. 
I get enough trouble with lightning here at my house, yeah. Pete. <laughs> you need to stick a piece of metal up in the air and yeah. see what happens. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? Yeah. All right. So let's, um, any other questions on that, John, before we, before we move on? No, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to consider my path forward here. Mm. And I, you know, Me too. Cause this device has to go back and I'm, you know, I'm kind of liking this whole streaming thing and, and, uh, the skip mode thing. So it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to get to, to pry it out of my, my fingers, but, but I'll, you know, I, I honor my commitments. I'll that send it back. <laughs> But uh, but I'm going to play with it for a little while longer. I've got it uh, at least I think through the month of January. So if you folks have questions, you know, feel free to ask. I've, I've got it here for a little while. So until I until I buy one to replace the the one that I got to send back. So uh, all right, I'm looking at a couple of things here. Leslie uh, on Facebook actually asked us a great question. It was in it very interesting. Uh, Oh, this is a mess. I put a Facebook PDF in the uh, in the thing. I think I can read it. Leslie says, I'm having a strange problem. The icons on my desktop have vanished. I rebooted and the icons were gone. I went to the dock and clicked on the finder to open up a window. The desktop folder is still there and the aliases are all there along with all my JPEGs and everything that I had always had on my desktop. I went to finder. Preferences general to see if show these items on desktop has been altered and it hasn't. I unchecked all the items, rebooted, checked all the items, rebooted again. Still no icons. Normally, if I click the desktop, the finder menu appears beside the black apple with all of the menu options. It no longer does that. I had to open a window to get to the finder options. I'm fearful of something drastic might have happened to the core of my MacBook Air. Please help. And then Leslie actually solved his own problem here. Uh, which he also posted again, and this is all in our, our Facebook group at uh, MacGeekCub.com slash Facebook. Great stuff. Uh, but there was a, there was a good path that happened and he found uh, a terminal command called uh, create desktop or the terminal option, which was defaults, right? Com.apple.finder create desktop, and then set that to true. And that turned it back on. He thinks that, Using Pathfinder might have turned this off. I believe, I believe that's what he said, but something turned it off. And so you can, you can turn the desktop on and off. My guess is that Onyx would have had this in its options as, as well. But, uh, but that's, that's a, uh, it's a great solution. So thank you, Leslie, for asking and then also answering your own question. But, uh, but good stuff. And you read my mind, my friend, because I am looking right now. At Onyx, and uh, uh, I suspect what may have happened is, and you know, we love these things, but sometimes they get screwed up. Uh, yeah. A cache file. And specifically, I'm looking here. So in Onyx, our, our favorite, well, one of our favorite utilities, because it gives you the potential to just ruin everything, but right. also fix things. Right. Um, but if you go to cleaning user, I see a couple of categories, Dave, that I think are suspect. So one is desktop background. Uh, mm. Another is doc icons and another is icon services. So there's a number of things. Uh, there's three, at least three caches that I see that if they get corrupt could have caused this. So I, uh, as you suspect that I think using Onyx to uh, 
clean that that stuff up may, may have also uh, repaired this or at least rebuilt right what what got clobbered. Well, got, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Um, I want to get to cool stuff found, John. You ready? I've been playing with uh, this new um, wireless presenter for thirteen bucks on Amazon from Inatech. You can get this. Uh, it's a it's a little uh, you know thing that you would use for um, for doing like keynote presentations, right? And what's cool about it is it runs off of a double A battery that you put inside it. It has uh, its own um, like a lot of wireless remotes do. It has its own little. Uh, dongle that you just plug into your USB port, but the dongle lives inside the remote with a little magnet latch. It's it. The remote is a little thicker than a pencil, but that's about the size of it. Uh, it, It's very thin, easy to fit in your laptop bag or whatever, and just leave it there. You can leave another double a battery in there uh, for, you know, for when it, when it dies, which of course would happen eventually. It's got a laser pointer in it and works great with keynote and 13 bucks. You know, you don't have to spend a fortune to, uh, to have something that that you can just leave in your bag and use, you can even get two of them if you've got you know a couple of different places you do present uh, presentations. I've been wanting one of these for a while, but I don't do it often enough. Where I feel like you know I should go spend a hundred hundred bucks on you know some state of the art whatever. This thing works great. So thirteen bucks, I like it. It's a good deal. Uh, where are we next, John? Here, I guess listener John, huh? Pie hole. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he says, I just listened shut, to the, shut your pie hole as in shut your, that's right. Uh, I just listened to the last show and had a comment about the caller who had a question about blocking ads and trackers. If you have a raspberry pie, check out pie hole at piehole.net or pie dash hole.net. You set it up as your home network's DNS server and it automatically drops all ad related traffic locally. This speeding up your internet access a lot. It's pretty simple to install and a developer is constantly updating it. Uh, I'll leave the political discussion about ad blockers and all of that out of it. But, uh, but I, I love stuff like this and I, I love the open source community and, and all of it. So John, do you have a raspberry pie yet? And if so, wow, why not? Maybe I should, I'd, I'd have to think of a, a project to do. Oh no. See, I think it's just the opposite. Just get a raspberry pie and start doing projects. I just think you, I think it would be like, like like you know a kid in a candy store for you the way you like to tinker with hardware and this like blends it all together in an easy way and i don't know and yeah. cheap yeah yeah and i've done i've done embedded stuff in my day that's what um, i mean yeah exactly yeah all right uh let's see moving on i think we got time to blow through some of these marco says i recently got a refurb 2012 Mac mini. I did a fresh install of El Capitan and transferred files over from my old iMac. Um, let's see. Oh, never mind. Uh, we, I think we talked about that. He says, cool stuff found stands for Macs three to choose from. It's called monitor mate for those who don't need the fanciness of a Thunderbolt dock. Maybe this might work. And it is, it's at uh, monitormate.com. We'll put a link in there. It's a little, uh, monitor stand or an iMac stand, right? It, it, it could go either way, but it's USB three and it's got uh, USB three ports on the front uh, USB two ports on it. It's got a uh, micro SD. It, it'll, it, it's got a card sub- slot that'll support 
uh, SDMMC, Compact Flash, Micro SD, and it's it's like a little stand. It, uh, I'm trying to think of the right shape for it. It looks like kind of like a toboggan that you put upside down, I guess. Yeah, or a shelf. Right, or a shelf. Well, it's a, it's a shelf. shelf. Yeah, a shelf is the right yeah. term. Yeah, so you can slide your keyboard underneath this thing. Um, and, you know, much cheaper than than a... Uh, um, you know, than a Thunderbolt dock if, if that's not, uh, if that's not what you need. So thank you. I love this stuff. It's cool. It um, makes me kind of want to get one for my desk. I don't know. Put all kinds of stuff there. Anyway, uh, that's where we're at. You need more stuff on your desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me there's that. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. Uh, moving on to any thoughts on that, John, before we move on to Greg. Oh, I should look at that because right now my uh, my monitor elevation technology is a uh, thick book. <laughs> a thick book, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. On my desk here, yeah, yeah, yeah. the The only thing I don't like about the the new screen I got, I think I showed it to you at one point here, but uh, the Asus uh, Asus um, wasn't adjustable height wise. Mm. The the one I I had before was so. Uh, yeah, that's the only thing I don't like about it. Yep. Otherwise, I mean, the image quality is awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, you know what? Let's let Max take a turn and tell us a little something. Hey, John, Dave, this is Max. Um, I'm just calling in with a little cool stuff found really quickly. Um, I just found this out recently. It's, probably been mentioned on the show before, but um, I have an old Power Macintosh running 10.4 Tiger, and I'm about to upgrade it to 10.5, but I realized that Onyx, um, something that you've mentioned in the past, can do a lot of more different things. Like, for example, on at least on the Tiger version, it can make... You can turn your Mac so it will always boot in verbose mode or that you can set like one of your screensavers as your live desktop. Um, now, it does give you a warning for your um, live desktop saying you should have a lot of processor power, but it still works on my old G4. So thought I would just send that in and you can cut me off here. Uh- Thanks, Max. That's great, man. Awesome stuff. I, you know, and that's the thing is Onyx has so much to it, which is why they built that maintenance utility, right? Because uh, it, it, if you just want to do the maintenance stuff, it's nice to have just everything else kind of carved away. But yeah, Onyx is, it's fun. It's, thanks for the reminder to to dig deep. It's good. I'm impressed that Max is kicking it old school there. I know. On the both the hardware and the operating system. Uh, and it's worth noting that Onyx, you need to get, uh, the, the, there's a, a version of Onyx specific to each major release of Apple's operating system. And uh, you want to be sure that you, uh, and you know, I think Dave, one time I tried to run an older version of Onyx after I had upgraded the OS and it didn't warn me. Yeah. I was it- kind of expecting it to do that. And then I had the Yosemite version. And once I upgraded to El Capitan on my mini, I remember I, uh, I don't often need to run it on the mini. I, 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 but yeah, I, I distinctly recall trying to run the older version and it ran and I'm like, Oh, that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, because I mean, they get real intimate with the, you know, the, the depths of, of OS 10 and, uh, 
I'm just afraid that, you know, if you run a version that's not appropriate for your OS, you may, uh, you may destroy everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, it, I like that it will run because it, it's good that it would, you know, if there's something you, if you just updated and there's something you need to do and you know that whatever the way it's going to do it is safe or you're willing to take the risk, it's nice to have it before they get whatever their update is. But yeah, I agree. It should warn you. I'm into that. All right. Uh, a quick one from, as all the cool stuff found items are from Fran saying uh, this, if you pay your cellular phone bill with a credit card, you might get some insurance benefits for your phone that are as good as or better than Apple care, saving you the monthly charges for the latter. And uh, Fran sent us a link to a magnify money article that talks about a lot of these different things. The only what I'll call major bank that's that's represented here is Wells Fargo. But if you're simply paying your cell phone bill with your credit card, every phone that you have is covered for up to 600 bucks per incident. You can get two incidents per year and they have a twenty five dollar deductible. So this is way better than Apple Care in most cases. I, I realize there's some phones that cost more than 600 bucks to replace brand new. But a lot of times you, when you go to Apple, as we found, you're paying the, uh, you know, the 300 bucks or whatever the, the flat rate repair minus your $25 fee. So check this list out and, and also just check with your bank, uh, your, your card issue, because you might be getting something without even realizing it. So, um, that's good stuff. They don't advertise that, do they? Hey, we'll pay for your phone. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh right. no, they, no, they certainly yeah. do though. Sometimes when you, when you get the agreement with your card, I mean, you know, some of them are pretty formidable. I, I don't right. necessarily look through them, but I think, but I have an Amex. Like I think you guys do. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. pretty sure Amex offers some level. I, I think Amex, I'm pretty sure the card that I have has a thing that'll double the warranty. That's right. On, on, on things as well. And then, and actually I got this the other day, which is kind of neat. I got a city card and they actually have a rewind or, or, or a price, like a price search feature. Yep. They're like, Hey, if you buy something with the card and you find it for less somewhere else, um, we'll, we'll give you a refund. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, that's thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Price protection or whatever. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, it's uh it's a good reminder to check out your, uh, your cell phone, you know, extended warranties or damage protection because these things do exist. And then price protection, you, you, you get them, not necessarily with every card, but frankly, most cards probably have them. So check it out. It's worth it. Thank you, Fran. Excellent, excellent stuff. Um, Brian tells us about an Apple knowledge base article. He says, I recently dealt with one of those pop-ups that say your Mac is infected and ask you to call a number to get it fixed like you did, John. In researching how to deal with the issue, I came across a support article from Apple that might be worth sharing. And indeed, we'll put it in the uh, thing. It's a stop pop-up ads and adware in Safari that kind of walks you through uh, some steps that you can go through. And including looking in specific folders on your Mac for things to uninstall. Uh, Safari extensions. I had somebody... It was telling me, oh, every time I visit, you know, your website it was actually a different project I was working on. It wasn't TMO. But every time they visited, they would get this thing that came up and it was like, you know, Shopify or I don't know, something. And it was like, 
well, okay, but we don't, you know, we're not running any JavaScript on this thing. It was nothing. It wasn't an ad supported site. It was just actually an internal thing that nobody in the world even knows about, let alone has access to. And, uh, and sure enough, I said, well, you go to your extensions. I don't know. And they're like, well, yeah, here's this, whatever it was, you know, shoppy made or something I'm like, well, yeah, we'll remove that. Like, if it's there, of course, it's going to be on every website you visit, but it's hard to, you know, and, and this person didn't know how they got it installed or anything. So we removed it and everything was fine. Apple keeps this article up to date with all kinds of things, folders you should look at, things you should delete, processes. I'm not going to go through them all, but it's uh, it's great. Definitely worth checking out, um, you know, because you don't want to have adware. I looked at all of it. I didn't have anything, but uh, but it's worth taking, you know, whatever it is, five minutes. So thank you, Brian. Good stuff. Did you look yeah. through that yet, John? Yeah. I'm almost certain that we've linked to that article or one similar from Apple. And yeah, they, they dig pretty deep. They're like, you know, where to go to, uh, to fix things. Um, the only thing I'd recommend is that there's a dandy piece of software um, that does. I think most, I, I think the, the article goes into a bit more detail, but there's a dandy piece of software called malware bytes, anti malware for Mac that, uh, that I run on occasion to look for this stuff. And actually, um, uh, I actually, uh, <laughs> uh, my mom or my parents, uh, set up, uh, their iMac, they were having some weird behavior and I was like, Hmm, that's not right. So I actually, uh, ran this tool and yeah, found adware. She, uh, had, uh, uh, they had gone to a site and, you know, it was, uh, I think one of these bogus, you know, flash installers or something like that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard, though, because I was trying to explain, you know, well, you know, if it's coming from here or coming from there, you may not want to install it. And, and you know, it's hard to tell. And I think she also had Mac Keeper installed. And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> well, because, um, you know, I think she was bamboozled because, you know, they're they're uh, uh, some of the stuff they put on some pages tends to look like it's part of the page and something you should install. Absolutely. Like recommended. Uh, yeah, so that's a good tool as well. Yeah, cool. Hey, um, John, have you ever heard of DECA, D-E-C-A adapters? We've talked about Mocha and we've talked about Powerline and DECA is similar to Mocha. So Powerline runs Ethernet over your power lines simultaneous with your power. Um, and we mentioned it earlier in the show. I, it's what I'm using at home. I'm a big fan of it, but uh you know, the most I can get even out of the, 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 the newer, you know, two gigabit ones, which are essentially just power line MIMO. So it's dual band running simultaneously is maybe 120 megabits, right? You know, so it's not terrible, but it's not great. Uh, Mocha, uh, I have not tried, but I want to, I've, I've heard that that can be faster. Mocha does the same thing since ether, ethernet over your coax cables alongside of your coax. Uh, but some people say their, you know, their speeds aren't that much better with it. Well, DECA, D-E-C-A, is over your cables, your, your, your coax cables, and goes much faster because it uses the whole thing. And, and that's the caveat, is you cannot be sending TV over these cables. But a lot of us in our homes have cable runs that are unused. And if you've got you know, cable in the, in the walls, even if it go, even if their home runs down to a, 
you know, a, what would be a, a hub or a splitter. If you take the two things off two, you know, the two off the splitter and join them together and just have them run, you can use these DECA adapters. I mean, I think they're less than 10 bucks a piece. And, uh, and so, you know, you get a, a DECA adapter on either end and now you're doing, you know, a hundred megabits per second, uh, in, in both directions simultaneously. So yeah, it can, it can be, you know, another option, uh, not necessarily for everybody, but, uh, but you know, older homes and that sort of thing where the power lines are, you know, questionable, this can be a, a good option. So it's, it's interesting stuff, John. I, I'd never heard about it before, but somebody was telling me about it. It's obviously been around for a while. So I hadn't either. Yep. And, uh, Oh yeah, look at that. Searching for DECA, the cheap alternative to Mocha. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Cheap. Cheap and and you know, probably well worth it if you've if you've got out you know, coax in the right spots. And we're you know, everything we're talking about, DECA, Powerline, Mocha, it's all, you know, filed under the category of I wish I did, but because I don't have cat five in my walls. Um, and honestly, I think the next time I have an electrician out to the house, John, I'm going to just have him run a cat five down into my living room or up into my living room, depending on how I want to do it, because it would make my life so much better. You know, the power line isn't quite enough to get things either in one direction or the other, um, the way I want to do it now it used to be, it's very reliable so that there's that. Uh, but it's, you know, it's not quite fast enough. I mean, I'm getting 180 megabits per second out of my cable company now downstream and power lines, not enough to keep up with that. And also just beaming stuff around the house. Like you said, you know, you want to send HD content to your TV or from your TV. It's you, you need bandwidth. Uh, what I am messing with and this show that uh, you're still there, right, John? Yes, sir. Good. So I'm running DDWRT, my favorite firmware, on that new Netgear R8500 router, the tri-band router. And what I'm, it, but it's it's like the first build, the first experimental build of of uh, of of DDWRT for this router. So I absolutely shouldn't be doing this while we're doing a show, but um, but I am. And my family's kind of mad at me because they say that we used to have like the best Wi-Fi in the state of New Hampshire in our house, and lately it's been a little less than reliable. Uh, because of my, my, my muddling, but, uh, be that as it may, it has two five gigahertz radios in it and one 2.4. So what I'm thinking of doing is using one of the five gigahertz radios and I've tested this and it, it, it gets enough bandwidth. I can get about 300, uh, maybe, maybe even 400 megabits per second, uh, 802.11 AC signal between my, where the router is kind of upstairs and the living room downstairs, uh, as a backhaul. Right. So using in, instead of using power line, just using that Wi-Fi signal, but not sharing it with anything else, just using it as the backhaul between the two. And then I've got my TV down there and it's, you know, all happy and, and everything. So essentially just having it act as the client, not doing a repeater thing. Or if I do a repeater, repeat it on 2.4 gigahertz to spread that signal around. Uh, but essentially using, you know, 802.11 AC is my my, you know, backhaul for uh for that. So I, that's, you know, it's on the list, but I gotta, I gotta go easy because my family's, they're not happy with me. <laughs> so. <laughs> they broke, fix it till it is. Well, that's a little bit of what's going on here. So. Well, tell them to deal with it or use, use sneaker net. No, what they use is they start, um, 
uh, they start just using their their LTE connections on their phones, and and they oh, they know, and they know how to goes through the roof. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. So hey, here's a thing, um, a, a free tip, right? So well, they're all free, but um, I'm an AT and T customer, right? And I wanted to, I, we're going to Mexico. Uh, Lisa and I are going to Mexico to see fish at, uh, in Playa del Carmen or Riviera Maya or something later in January. A, a, a couple of weeks ago, I noticed that AT&T just opened up their family share plans. Their new family share plans are allow calling not just to Mexico, but from Mexico for free. And you get a gig of data per month per device in Mexico. And that was the only difference between these plans and prices are the same and everything it was like just a new promotion or whatever. So I thought, well, I'll move over to it. Our, so do that, right? That that's part one of the tip is just, if you're an AT&T customer, do that, but time it. Well, our cell phone bill, we get 15 gigs a month uh, and we have rollover data. Now, when you change plans, you lose the, the data only rolls over one month. Anyway, it only carries forward a, a month. Uh, so the most I could have in any given month is another 15 gigs if we have you, if we had used nothing. Yeah. However, you lose your whatever you have has rolled over when you change plans. And so I, I was like, well, I better do this quickly because our I, you know, I did it and I timed it so that our plan, our plan rolls over on the eighth of the month. I think I changed to this on like the sixth of December. I'm like, so it doesn't really matter. I'm going to lose stuff anyway. I'll be fine. We're not traveling a bunch in December anyway. It'll be fine. We never use our 15 yeah. gigs anyway. Well, I changed plans on the 6th of December and I lost my rollover data and my data for that month, the month that ended on December 7th reset to zero. So I rolled almost 15 gigs into December. Cause I, you know, I used, I mean, maybe we used a gig in that day or something, but you know, so I, we, we started December with like 29 gigs of data for the family that we aren't going to use. So which yeah, roll into January. Now. We'll roll what's left of <laughs> December's into January. That's right. Yeah. So it's fun. Uh, there you go. So there's, there's the, uh, the, uh, AT&T family share tip. I don't know. It's crazy. You're still Verizon, right? John, you're happy with them. They keep giving you extra data, right? Yeah. And I'm looking, uh, and it's funny because I got the uh, the the baby plan that only had one gig of data, but I'm looking at my phone here and my and the widget that I have still says I have two gigs. Wow, maybe they just upped everybody from one to two. Awesome, that's nice. I think they did that. Yeah, I think they update. I think it was, it was you know a lot of times the cell companies will do these things and they'll say it's oh it's a short term experiment, especially the big ones, right? Like AT and T and Verizon. Because they've got to compete with T-Mobile, which is also a big one, but it's kind of the scrappy one. And Sprint's also kind of scrappy. Um, and they've got to compete with them. So they offer these, they roll these things out. They're like, it's just a test and yada, yada. And then it just stays forever. Like our plan. I said, it's a 15 gig plan. Well, that was because we signed up for it. It's a 10 gig plan where you got 50% data for free. But they said, if you sign up, you keep it forever. Well, even new plans have that. It's, you know, it's not... But it's their way of rolling it out and testing it and saying, are we going to lose our shirts? No. Our customers staying? Yes. Awesome. Good. We'll keep it. That's how it works. Feedback at MacGeekab.com is where you can send in cool stuff, found questions, tips, whatever you want. Crash logs. We love it. Good stuff. Yeah. I don't know about that. 
I, I, I much prefer feedback at MeckyGap.com. I'm hungry. Let's get the feedback at... Oh, oh feedback. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, food up. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Or premium at MacGeekGab.com. For those of you that are premium members and support us directly, you don't have to. It is certainly appreciated. It is more than appreciated. We are truly humbled by all of you that support us. And if you're interested in it, visit MacGeekGab.com for more details. We'd certainly appreciate it. And... As part of that appreciation, anything sent to premium at MacGeekGab.com is prioritized, and that's the box we tend to answer first for you. 206-666-GEEK is the number anyone can call and leave a message for us. And John, geek is? 4335. We're still looking for iTunes comments, folks. I'd love to see more iTunes comments. So just take a minute out of your day. Go review Mac Geek Gab in iTunes. We would love, we will love you for it. We love you anyway. We'll love you a little bit more for that. Please do it. We'd love, love to see it. It's great stuff. It helps us all. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Our thanks go out to them as always. Our thanks also go to our sponsors. As we mentioned in the show, iMazing with coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Squarespace with coupon code MGG saves you 10%. Gazelle at gazelle.com where you can sell off the old iPhone that uh, is now replaced by the new one that you got for whatever holiday you celebrated uh, in the last month here. Smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek where they always talk about the latest stuff from us to you. Linda at lynda.com slash mgg where you get 10 free days of their great videos. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com one of my favorite vendors for RAM and hard drives and SSDs and fun stuff and of course Barebones Software at barebones.com makers of BB Edit. You gotta check it out. Pete, we've got a uh, we've got an interesting holiday coming up here. Uh, I would like to make sure everyone uh, celebrates their way into the new year safely because we want you all to stick around, but of course have fun. Pete, do you have any advice to Don't share? Drink and drive. Well, there's that. There is that. That's you know, that's actually really good advice. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful with that, and uh, I won't even be flip about that one and say don't. Uh, you know what I'm about to say. Right. You know, just don't do just that. Just don't do that. Yeah. Yes. And then anything else you do while you're out there having fun. If you think someone's watching, that's fine. But don't get caught. Made up.